Blog Talk Radio. Dialogue Between the Lines, where each week we talk with authors and publishing industry professionals. I'm your host, Joshua Graham, along with my lovely co-host, Susan Wingate, and we'd like to take a moment to invite you to connect with us on our website, which is www.dialoguebtl.com. Today, we are honored to have the New York Times bestselling author and the creator of First Blood and Rambo, David Morell, and we will be speaking to him in just a few minutes, but I just want to take a moment to say hello to my co-host Susan. How are you, Susan? I'm doing great, Joshua. Thank you. It's great to hear your voice, and I'm very excited about our show today. Um, busy, of course, as usual, writing, uh, finishing up one of my novels, and also um, Drowning was just completed. The audio version was just completed, so it'll be ready for oh. Christmas, the audio book. I know I'm super excited about that, so that's going to be out um, probably by December 7th, right around there. Um, and then, um, as you know, I'm a huge fan of writing education. I teach writing, but also um, I try to get my own uh, education fulfilled as well, and I just was accepted to a very exclusive uh, four-day intensive workshop with Tom Jenks, who uh-huh. edited um, a short story collection with Raymond Carver and uh, has been an editor of Kurt Vonnegut and that and uh, and names like that. So I am extremely excited about that prospect. That's in April, so I'm I'm looking forward to the next coming months. Uh, what about you, Josh? How are things going for you? Things are going great, but I'm really glad to hear about your your audio book. And you know, it's terrific that authors keep honing their craft. I, I think we shouldn't just yeah. sit on our laurels. But you know, times are changing. People's um, sensibilities are are evolving over time, and uh, we need to stay current, so I, I think it's great that you're doing that, and um, you know I, I like you. doing that type of stuff myself. For me, I have actually been very busy, so busy that I'm hardly on social networking anymore, which is yeah. quite a change for me. But I think my um, readers kind of have come to expect that they know that when I'm a, a lot less on the social networks, they know that I'm, I've got my head in my manuscript and I'm pounding it out, trying to finish. So I've actually I'm working on two books simultaneously. And one of them is near completion, and those two books are very different in genre. One of them is called Terminus, and that's a kind of a paranormal suspense, um, urban fantasy, you know, you name oh, it. Oh, and, and the other one is called Extreme Prejudice, which is more along the lines of my legal thriller uh, type of thing. So both of them should be completed soon. And so because I'm working to a, a deadline on these books, uh, that's why I've been so busy. Um, right. So, you know, that's the life of a writer. We try to stay in touch on social media as much as we possibly can, and we just hope that our fans and our readers um, are, are patient and understanding of us that we're not as in touch uh, because we're busy writing so that they'll have something to read. Mm. Well, anyway, today it's my honor to introduce everybody to David Morell. He's the award-winning author of First Blood, and that was a novel in which Rambo was created. First Blood has been called the father of all action novels and went on to find its, uh, and it found its way to the silver screen where it became a Hollywood icon portrayed by none other than Sylvester Stallone. I mean, who doesn't remember Rambo? 
Um, right. He was uh, David Morell was the uh, professor of American literature. He was a professor of American literature between 1970 and 1968, and he's the co-founder of the International Thriller Writers Organization, who hosted Thriller Fest uh, last July. And I had the pleasure of meeting uh, David there. Mr. Morell is an Edgar, Anthony, and McCavity nominee, as well as a three-time recipient of the Distinguished Bram Stoker Bram Stoker Award from the Horror Writers Association. The International Thriller Writer Organization gave him its prestigious Career Achievement Thriller Master Award. And his short stories have appeared in numerous uh, year's best collections. And with 18 million copies in print, his work has been translated into 26 languages. Wow. And that's just a glimpse of the illustrious author we're about to speak with. So without further ado, let's wel- welcome David Morell. Hi, David. You're on the air. Hey, hi. Uh, be, uh, uh, in case you mentioned you were writing a paranormal novel, just in case anybody felt they were in a paranormal universe, I have to correct your date. You said I taught from 1970 till 1968. Oops, I meant 86. <laughs> <laughs> I went backwards. <laughs> I thought, oh, boy. That's, you know, that's like back to the future. That's right. <laughs> Anyhow, I'm, I'm happy to be here, and I just love it. It's not every day I get called illustrious, so good for you. Oh, well, illustrious is, is hardly enough to describe all that you've done. But um, you know, it was really great to meet you at Thriller Fest, even though it was such a short meeting just a few months ago. Um, now, though you've written other books like The Brotherhood of the Rose, which became the first, the only for the TV series, miniseries to premiere after the Super Bowl, you're, you're, mo- you're very widely known for First Blood and the creation of the Rambo legend. Can you tell us a little bit about how that book came about? Uh, I can. I, <clears throat> it, it might surprise some people that the creator of Rambo was Canadian uh, when he wrote it, I had uh, come from Canada to uh, study American literature at the University, uh, pardon me, at Penn State. And it, uh, people who didn't live through that period won't remember, uh, you know, can't perhaps understand how uh, how really really cataclysmic it was. And some of us actually thought that maybe a uh, civil war was going to happen. It was so all the riots. There were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, I, I do not exaggerate, of riots in 1968 and because of the uh, assassinations of Martin Luther King Jr. and Bobby Kennedy. And I got this idea about a, a soldier coming back from Vietnam uh, having trouble adjusting. I modeled him on Audie Murphy, the most uh, decorated soldier of World War II who had trouble adjusting. Uh, and um, with one device and another, I was trying to use the plot of Rambo and the police chief whom he uh, comes up against as a kind of metaphor for what was happening in the United States at the time. And um, just to, to jump ahead a bit, uh, the, 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 the military officer who trained Rambo, uh, Colonel Sam Troutman, who has a big role in the novel and, and in all the films. Uh, his name, Sam, is meant to be Uncle Sam. He is meant to be mm. the system that created Rambo, and uh, in the novel, at least, is the system uh, that destroys him. So there's a, it's basically an allegory uh, about what was happening in the United States at the time, and what amazes me is that the novel was published in 72, and here we are 40 years later, the novel's not been out of print. It's still available around the world, and uh, 
uh, just amazing how uh, a first novel, which usually gets buried, how it had uh, all kinds of life to it. It is amazing, and I, and I wonder. Um, I, I know that the the book itself stands on its own merit, um, uh, but I'm sure it didn't um, it didn't hurt to have Hollywood uh, t- uh, touch it and have somebody like Sylvester Stallone uh, playing the title role. Could you tell us a little bit about what it was like working on uh, well, with them and with Sylvester Stallone in particular? I can, uh, but it was it's a it was a heroic. Uh, enterprise to get that film made. I had sold the rights to Columbia Pictures in 1972, and at that time, uh, Richard Brooks, a writer-director I keenly admire, uh, particularly for a film called The Professionals, a wonderful Western, um, and, and Richard had been signed to to do it, and he worked on it for a year, and I do not know what happened. I never saw the script but the next thing I knew was that Columbia had sold the property to Warner Brothers. And there, uh, there was a lot of talk about Martin Ritt, who'd just done a southern movie called Sounder. Uh, and, and let's bear in mind the novel is set in the American South, not in the Pacific Northwest where the film is. Uh, and uh, the talk was that Paul Newman would be brought on, but in the way the novel is structured, where both characters, Rambo and the police officer, Teasel, get equal billing, uh, alternating chapters, one devoted to one and one to, uh, the next chapter devoted to the next character, um, that these uh, uh, reviewers at the time weren't sure who was the main character. and In fact, they're, they're both main characters. And so uh, Paul Newman was going to play the police officer, and uh, a lesser actor was going to play Rambo. And in the script that I read uh, from that period, uh, it was just ludicrous. Rambo was described as the Bobby Riggs of guerrilla warfare, and who remembers <laughs> even who Bobby Riggs was? He was a... <laughs> Tennis I do. Tennis <laughs> you do. Yeah, there you go. But you remember Route 66, remember. too. <laughs> yes, I do. Uh, and and, and uh, uh, in a shocking part of the story, Rambo was going to be in a cave as he is in the movie but uh, that was produced. But in this case, it would be a commercial cave, and he was going to demonstrate the wily arts of survival by breaking into vending machines. Uh, it was just a terrible script. Uh, so it didn't get made, and then uh, another stellar possibility with Steve McQueen as Rambo and uh, Sidney Pollock directing actually went through six months of uh, pre-production until oh. they figured out that uh, Steve, just, they just remembered that Steve McQueen was uh, in his mid-40s at the time, and there were this was going to be in the 70s, there were no 45-year-old Vietnam veterans. That was a young person's <laughs> war. So that, that fell apart. And, yeah. you know, it went on and on and on. It went through 26 scripts, went through five studios, and finally uh, through the, the strange way that Hollywood works, uh, the picture was made by a company called Carol Co. And Sylvester Stallone, who'd never had a hit in another film except Rocky, uh, was hired, uh, and uh, the producers felt that you know they were done for; that it just wasn't going to happen properly. And instead, it turned out to be a, a, a huge, huge success. Wow! And it was a huge success. I mean, all of the 
the the entire story you know with with you telling me about it i i'm 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 being honest here i did not read the book i saw the movie of course and um and i was uh 10 in 1968 so i remember all of those issues um arising and all of the turmoil and you know all it was just a, a real tragic time and um the book sounds so much more interesting than the movie, although the movie was fabulous, you know, as everybody remembers Rambo to be. So um, it makes me want to uh, buy your book. I also um, do a, a bit of uh, teaching myself, and you have also an, a writing instructional book. Um, so I got that today. I just have to tell you that I'm so excited about getting your book. Um, and it's called The Successful Writer. And the successful I'm, novelist. The successful novelist. I, I should have just looked on the website. It's right here. The successful <laughs> novelist: A lifetime of lessons about writing and publishing by David Morrell. I'm so excited about uh, the prospect of getting this, not only for my own edification, but also to pass along. I love being able to um, get these books, and I'm, I was thrilled to find out that you had a a novel, uh, or uh, I'm sorry, a, a writing manual as well. Um, so you and, and because we're on this topic, you've done a, a bit of teaching, a bit I'll say, um, and and you've published and, and which are you know the which I'm sure led to you publishing the successful novelist. Can you tell us a bit about what prompted you to actually stop the novel writing and jumping onto this this book, the successful novelist? Absolutely. I and and what we need to emphasize my I have a MA and PhD in American literature right. and I was a professor of American literature at the University of Iowa and as much as I emphasize that uh, people will come to me and say oh what was it like teaching in the writers workshop? I was not in the writers workshop and uh in fact they probably wouldn't have welcomed me because I have a broader approach and am interested in, I, I love genre writing, and I think that's where all the exciting stuff happens. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, there was a kind of, at the time, I don't know about now, but there was a clash of uh, attitudes um, between the workshop and me. But uh, I, uh, in oh, about ten years ago, had done a piece about dialogue, writing dialogue for a uh, book called Writing Horror, uh, and I, I like to write uh, non-supernatural horror as well. I um, mm-hmm. have a couple of Stoker, or three Stoker Awards for, uh, from the Horror Writers Association. Wow. And I had uh, I'd found a tone, uh, which I found very attractive and is a little bit like the one that William Goldman uses in his wonderful book about uh, screenwriting called Adventures in the Screen Trade. And uh, and Writers Digest Books uh, contacted me, and they someone there had read it, and they said, you know, we like this tone so much. Do you think you can do it for a whole book? It's very conversational, very amusing. It's uh, it sort of is like the way I taught, which is not the way most professors teach. And I said, uh, sure. Let me let me. You know, they said, will you do a book about this? So. What I would do when I was working on a novel and maybe I was having some trouble and I needed to get away is I'd write a chapter for the writing book. 
and then I'd go back to fiction, and then I'd come back if I was having a little bit of trouble, and it was sort of a nice getaway. And uh, time moved on, and after about two years, I discovered that I had what you might call a found book because I hadn't planned on writing it, and I hadn't really been aware that I was writing it because I was doing it here and there, but the Mm -hmm. next thing I knew, I had the book. And uh, it's very different from most writing books. It has a lots, of, lots of nuts and bolts, lots of things you know that I've learned. This is my 40th year as a as a, as a writer, and uh, you know you pick up so much. Uh, it's an eternity in the in the writing business. And uh, but it but there's a tone to it, and I I approach certain issues uh, about writing in ways that a number of um, both established and beginning writers have found to be very refreshing and innovative uh, and motivating. And I think that's really the final word about the book, that it's a motivator, that it gets... The only reason I know to be a writer is because every day it makes me fuller, because every day I find out new things about myself and I expand. So I often say I don't consider this a profession as much as I do a vocation, and that's pretty much what the book is about. Well, you know, I uh, like I said, I ordered it, and I it, uh, luckily we can look inside the book. And um, and by the way, you only have five star reviews up here on this book, so wow. Um, but the you know you you've employed the first line, first paragraph uh, rule to this book. The first paragraph has me already. So I can't wait to get this. I'm so excited. I love these books anyway. I, I yeah. have thousands, I think. Um, well, yeah. But you, there, there are a lot of books about writing. There's no doubt about tons, it. Tons. Tons. But this is fabulous because it's it's it starts out um, with conflict. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. Well, I, so, uh, I should have, by rights, as you see in, in that first uh, uh, chapter, really, uh, I, when I was 17, I was going nowhere. I, I was uh, really set up to be a failure, and I had a lot going against me. I'd been in an orphanage, and I'd run with street gangs, and I'd, for a lot of my formative years, been raised by my mother, who, who you know, worked in a factory, and I was essentially a latchkey kid. And, and uh, I was very conflicted. And as yeah. I note in the first uh, chapter, I, I happened to watch the first episode of a TV series called Route 66, which was about two young men in a Corvette convertible driving across the U.S. in search of America and in search of themselves. And it, even though I was in Canada, it spoke to me, that idea of the search, the journey, and both of them were orphans, and that spoke to me in ways. I'm not an orphan. My, 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 it was my father who had died. My mother who had to put me in an orphanage for a time, but I feel often like I'm an orphan. And so that series spoke to me, and then I wrote to the head writer, Sterling Silifon, and we became uh, connected, and he encouraged me, and uh, basically everything I've ever you know, put on paper is the consequence of Sterling's encouragement. Wow, it is just... Um, your your story itself is quite remarkable. Um, you should be writing a memoir. <laughs> well, well, I you. have done that. In some ways, that's what the what uh, the successful writer is oh, about. Good. It is in many ways a memoir and very autobiographical. And I've done, you know, I've done a few nonfiction books which which incorporate some of 
um, this story, you know, in a larger way that I told you. Uh, so, yeah, yeah I, uh, you know, it's been a dramatic life. Let's put it that way. Oh, it has been a dramatic life um, and, and touching, I would think, at, at times. Um, and I want to uh, make sure that we talk about this specifically because you have another book coming out soon. Can you talk about that or, or uh, reveal the title of this novel that's coming out? Oh, absolutely. Uh, the book is called Murder as a Fine Art, and it'll be out next May. And in, you know, you cannot survive as a writer for 40 years by doing the same thing again and again. And that is why most careers last only 15 to 20 years, if if they're successful careers. Some of them, you know, don't last even, even that long. And uh, one of the reasons I've been doing this for 40 years and that uh, uh, publishers welcome my work and, and, you know, readers tell me that they, they enjoy it, uh, is that I have constantly worked to evolve and develop and to look ahead. Uh, and a couple of years ago, I was watching a, a movie called Creation, which is about um, Charles Darwin's struggle to complete Origin of the Species. And, uh, of course, if uh-huh. you're a... If you're a Christian evangelical person, you probably hope wish that he'd continued having trouble. But uh, it's a dramatic, dramatic story about uh, how his wife uh, w- felt that he was damning himself by writing this book, and he was he felt guilt about uh, he may have been somehow responsible for the death of his favorite daughter, and he was going—he wow. was just going crazy, and he couldn't write, and he was sick. And um, in the movie, a man comes to him and says, "You know, Charles, uh, a lot of people like De Quincey say that maybe some of the things we feel—we're uh, feeling them for reasons that we don't understand." And uh, it was just a quick line, and and then the movie went on, and I thought, De Quincey—is he talking about Thomas De Quincey? The the infamous um, author of Confessions of an English Opium Eater from the early 1800s, and and he was. And I I I I studied De Quincey in in college, but didn't know a lot about him. And I went to do some research. I I, I just jumped on the idea. There was something about it that really spoke to me, because it sounded like De Quincey had anticipated the theories of Freud by a long time, and indeed he had. It turned out that De Quincey was thinking like Freud 70 years before Freud published, and uh, and 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 I I got so excited about them that as I did more research, I discovered that De Quincey had stalked Wordsworth and he'd written the first book about drug dependency and he anticipated the theories of Freud and he was an expert in murder. He was fascinated by murder and had you know researched every big murder case there was up you know during his period in the 1800s and particularly a, a, a series of mass murders known as the Ratcliffe Highway Murders, which occurred in 1811 in London. Very, very grisly graphic murders, a series of them, which rivaled those of Jack the Ripper at the end of the century. And I thought, you know, this material is so wonderful that I would write a novel in which Thomas de Quincey was the main character. It would be set in 1854 London, and the backstory would be about the infamous Ratcliffe Highway murders. And the the big deal about the book, apart from the fascination of these murders and of de Quincey, uh, was that I determined that here I am, an American literature specialist, that I was going to 
immerse myself for a year, actually it turned out to be two years, in 1854 London, and all I, everything I read, everything I thought about was related to 1854 until I actually had convinced myself I was there. And uh, so that my goal was to make readers feel they were there, and I wasn't wasn't happy unless I knew what was in people's pockets and what the streets were made of, and you know how much uh, uh, how much a woman's clothes were. If you were a middle or upper class in 1854 London, your clothes weighed. Are you ready for this? 37 pounds. Oh my God! And, <laughs> yeah. And that's the degree of research I did, uh, and you know, it's just a, yeah. it's just a big, big, exciting, thrilling uh, thriller mystery with atmosphere to burn, and and exactly the sort of thing that no one would ever have predicted that uh, I I would write. But I'm just I'm just happy as hell uh, to have done it. Uh, we're really excited about that. I can be sure I'll be one of the first persons online to get that book. Now, um, th- boy, time has really flown and. Um, we only have a couple of minutes left, but um, I just wanted to ask you one more question before we have to close, and if you could answer it sure. in about two minutes. Could you just give us a little bit uh insight into um, what general advice you might have for like aspiring authors or mid-list authors in this day and age of the publishing world? Oh, yeah, I can do – I can give several. I have many mantras, but one – the biggest one I can think of is don't chase the market. Uh, the The – you know there are trends that pop up these days. It's uh, you know pornography. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, Fifty Shades of Grey. I just love it. Uh, and you know, uh, and the, there was there are vampires. Although that's starting to dwindle. I'm really hearing, you know, the, uh, 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 don't don't go near that that topic. And I never would anyhow. Um, it, you know, you chase the market because you want to be successful, and then, you know, a year passes and the trend is gone, and then everybody says, well, you know, I wish you hadn't written this because it looks very familiar. The only thing I know is, and this is the big mantra, be a first-rate version of yourself as a writer rather than a second-rate version of somebody else. And the, the ones who have the career, the ones who last, are the ones who find out who they are and what they have to offer that no one else can offer and who write fiction or nonfiction, which is very unique to that person and represents the sum total of, of that person's life. Uh, and uh, it's, uh, if, if you try to do it any other way, I can almost guarantee uh, that you're wasting your time. Uh, and I can't guarantee that you will be published if you follow my advice, but I can guarantee that the books you write will make will make you satisfied as opposed to writing stuff that you have no faith in, uh, but that, uh, you know, you think you're going to get your union card for it. And really it's a, it's a doomed way to do it, to, to chase the market. Wow, yeah. that is fantastic advice. And I I, I know I've heard it before, but uh, hearing you tell it, tell it to us again, for me personally, it means a lot. Well, David, thank you so much. We are so honored to have you uh, as our guest today, and we hope maybe in the future you'll come back and uh, join us because we could talk for hours, I'm sure. Um, oh, I'm happy to do it. As you can tell, I enjoy talking about writing. And we love well, hearing it, too. Yeah, so, thanks it's so much. been wonderful. And thanks well, for thank you for having me. Okay, well. we'll talk again. Thanks. Goodbye. Well, folks, that was David Morrell, and I just um, I'm so glad that we had a chance to speak with him. And then for that great nugget of uh, uh, advice at the end for all writers, um, don't forget you can learn more about David Morrell at his website, which is davidmorrell. 
blogtalkradio.net. A podcast of this broadcast will be available right here at blogtalkradio.com forward slash dialogue. Be sure to tune in two weeks from today on Thursday, November 29th at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time, as we interview the New York Times bestselling writing team Preston and Child. Until next week, this is Joshua Graham with Susan Wingate for Dialogue Between the Lines. Goodbye, everybody. Bye-bye.